Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Small Acre Hunting Podcast. I'm excited to touch on the final thing of the perfect, air quotes, property pyramid that we've been discussing now. This is the fifth part, the sixth uh, podcast on the series, and we're going to be touching on basically the aspect that everything else hinges on. And it's something that you've heard me talk about in nearly every single podcast in this discussion because... Whenever we're implementing food, whenever we're implementing layers or bedrooms or zones or limited pressure designed and plans with people, entrance and exits to and from not only plots and property to work, but also our stands that are pivotal, all those things are being driven by this one thing. And we'll get into that on this episode of the Small Acre Hunting Podcast. You are listening to the Small Acre Hunting Podcast, the hunting podcast that is free of advertisements, bought and paid for opinions, and minutes and minutes of sponsorships. If that's what you want, there's a plethora of other podcasts out there. Here, we're going to talk openly, we're going to talk honestly, and we're going to live in the real world. Free of sponsorships and paid for advertisements and opinions that are governed and dictated by them that sounds interesting stay tuned for this episode of the smaller grounding podcast all right so what is that thing anybody who has checked out the facebook page and seen the pictures or whatever or if you've been on facebook there was a video that i posted back on march 30th of 2018 that was kind of the first hint of just how serious i take this aspect and it's security. You've seen the pyramid picture posted. Security is the final corner base of the pyramid. And honestly, as I said prior, I, I pulled entrance and exit out of this very thing and aspect because it is one of the most commonly um, attributable things for the destruction of security on a property that's why i did a discussion on it specifically because there are numerous people out there that i know listen to this very podcast that need to learn their entrance and exits are destroying their chances and destroying their property security today though we're touching on safety and security because if you don't have that you don't have anything as far as i'm concerned and i want to play um i actually can't find my external hard drive that has my old videos attached so I'm going to actually hold a speaker up to the mic and I'm hoping it's going to pick it up well enough for this to work but I'm going to play the audio version but if you go to the Facebook page I have a post pinned and it's two minutes and 34 seconds and it is uh, in essence a video where I discuss safety security if you don't have this your property is bankrupt if you will for the deer Give, give me just, bear with me while I get it going. Hopefully this comes through. Hang around habitat managers enough and you become very aware that one of the most common things folks are told to think about is what does my property lack? Is it food? Is it water? Is it cover? Those are the three things that everybody wants to talk about. And most of the time, everybody naively gravitates simply to food. 
Ty, what food plot should I put in? What seed should I put in? All those things are part of the plan, but let me beg you to think of a fourth thing, which in my opinion is the most important. For if you have good food, but you don't have this, it does not matter. If you have water, but you do not have this, it does not matter. If you have cover, but not this, it does not matter. Does my property offer safety? We all want to see those pictures, the videos, and while on stand of deer using our property during hunting hours, during the broad daylight. We want them to be comfortable enough to be hunted. But are we doing everything we can to ensure that? That they feel safe. For the best bedding area will not be used if it is not safe. The best food source will not be used until the cover of darkness when that is the only time it is safe. And a watering source as needed as it is, will not be visited if they do not feel safe. Offer the deer safety, and you offer them refuge. Offer them that, and you are going to change the game. Alright, let me set the speaker back down. Offer the deer safety, and you offer them refuge. Offer them that, and you are going to change the game. Man, a wise man once said that. <laughs> uh, hey, every now and then, I, you know, us, us buffoons can say some pretty pivotal things, and I think it's something that uh, I, even myself, I have to remind myself of that concept. Um, I have to constantly fight the urge to, to, you know, go check cameras, which we're going to get into and, and touch on things. But it, just the other day, I was having a conversation where a gentleman reminded me, you know, Ty, you've said you can have a 10 out of 10 for food, but if you, if you lack cover, if you lack security, it does not matter. It's true. You know, I, I know guys that have much better food plots than I do. I know guys that have acres and acres of beans and they don't see the quality of deer that I do. They see more deer. Don't get me wrong. They see more deer than I do. Um, but they don't, they, they routinely don't come across and, and, and capitalize and make it happen on, um, the caliber of deer that, that I think, and it's, it's nothing against them. They're fully content with, well, one of them's starting to get a little, uh, less content with it. He, he's starting to have that itch for more mature bucks, but, uh, it is so true there is nothing that you can provide on your property that if the deer don't feel safe, none of it matters. You can have the best food, and if they don't feel safe eating it during huntable time, it does not matter. You can have the thickest property, the best cover. You know, sometimes guys associate best cover with just the thickest uh, property, and usually it goes hand in hand, especially when cover is void in areas. But you can even have the best cover... But it doesn't matter if you have people and dogs and you constantly entering and exiting the property, destroying the safety aspect of it. 
again so you can have a 10 out of 10 you could have the best property cover wise and it does not matter if you destroy the safety and the security of it everything that we do safety and security must be in our mindset in our decision making process even if we're going to go fire up the chainsaw and go work at a property safety and security need to be thought of is this the right time to go can i devote an entire day to it well we'll get into some of these things so the biggest thing and i and 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 again, we could recircle, honestly, talking about security. If somebody had me on their podcast or discussion or if I was talking to somebody, the entire pyramid is going to get discussed. So I'm going to try to not just spend the entire episode uh, recircling, circling the wagons, if you will, that, of things that we already have done because everything is so pivotably, pivotably, I'm struggling to say that word. Everything is so intricately interwoven with security that you cannot take them apart, in my opinion. But the biggest question is, how do we provide it? How do we provide safety and security? And I have two sections that we're going to discuss. The first section is providing it in a decision-based non-habitat type thing. So decisions that we make. And then the other part is going to be habitat-wise. I'm just going to kind of circle the wagons, if you will, recirculate a little bit of the thought processes that you've heard me discuss before, possibly even on this part, this six-part series, five-part series, six episodes. So this first section, um, which is decision-making, these are some things, and I, and I have this saying, SAP, or SAP, S-A-A-P, and what that stands for is Sanctuary Adherence and Activity Protection. So sanctuary adherence and activity protection. And what that second part means is we protect our property anytime we take action on it. Anytime there's activity on it and the activity there, we are protecting the property security. So we are constantly asking questions of, is this detrimental to the safety of my property? Is there something I can do to not have it be as detrimental to the property? Is there things and steps that I can do? So some areas only get visited during must complete tasks and activities. So really setting aside sanctuary pieces of your property that you do not go to. A lot of people call these sanctuaries, but I think it's funny. You might, you know, I, I've been to properties where it's like they have 70 acres and they're like, oh, I have this 20 acre, acre sanctuary here. And then they got trails going through every other spot or food or something they're doing. And it's like, they shed hunt the entire, and I'm going to step on some toes when it comes to shed hunt. And I understand I've got some really big friends when it comes to shed hunting, but I not only have some bedding area sanctuaries on my property, but I have edges and fingers and corridors that I treat just as sanctuaries. They're just not a bedding sanctuary, but I don't, I don't step foot on them. Except for the rare time that I am retrieving a deer or doing that once a year sometimes once every other year i have a, a i have a couple routes um that i initially brush hogged open and they're in one that i can describe to you is in between so i have a food plot and then a bunch of understory growth or broad you know fallow field type growth and then i have a trail that runs north south that I brush hogged through the grass and briars and brambles and, you know, young sumac and, and young cottonwood and, and a lot of uh, black raspberries. Um, and then 
there's about 10 to 16 yards, give or take, depending because the, the, the pond isn't, the pond runs north-south, but there's this gap. So it goes food plot, fallow field growth that's about anywhere from 5 to 15 yards wide. Then there's a 6-foot brush hog trail, and then there's another 5 to 15 yard wide, that thick trees there's even some mature oak trees here but it's an edge it's it's basically in between the trail and the, the pond growth some of it is very thick with vines and and such but the deer do bed along there um but it's not a massive uh bedding area it, it seems to be bucks like to bed there to, in order to keep track of of the property especially once the rut starts getting in and there might be hot does i think they like to set there when they have a west wind because on the west side on the other side of the pond is bedding and they can keep a visual eye really easily on the food plot and that trail that runs there while also their nose is keeping watch over anything that's moving on the west side of the pond on the other side of the pond they can smell it and then they can get up and go hook south around the pond if they need to if they smell something hot um, I don't step foot there. That's technically not one of my big bedding areas. It's, it's a great, uh, travel corridor. It's a great small bedding area. Um, but I, I treat it as such. I've got areas that some people would say are transitional areas moving from the plot up into actual bedding areas. I don't touch them, but now every other year I'll run a brush hog through a trail um, and I might take a backpack sprayer. I haven't done it in a little bit. I need to get one of those walk behind uh, brush cutters that are kind of like a push mower, but they got the blades and everything. It's almost like a mini brush hog. They're perfect because they're only like two or three feet wide and they can cut through almost anything sapling wise, you know, small saplings and, and down. I've got a couple trails that I probably should clear back open at least maybe with a chainsaw or one of those things like I'm saying. And you only have to do that every other year. The deer will, you know, if they if they latch onto it, you don't have to do anything. But again, those are areas that I don't touch, I don't hunt, um, I don't go hang stands, I don't go mess mess around with them. If I put a camera in there, it's long soaking cameras. It's cameras with an external battery pack or a solar uh, solar. I've never messed with solar, but I have gotten into the external battery packs. You know, the basically boosts doubles the amount of batteries pumping into the camera. Um, I'll do that as a long soaking camera, which means typically I will put those up in the springtime um, when I'm out there frost seeding or whatever in March or so. And then I will not do anything with that until I'm back out there in the dead of the summer, possibly, um, or doing a, a May or June type um, planting of buckwheat, or it'll be August and September. Most likely it'll be August and September. So I'll put that camera in when I am doing my frost seeding or very early buckwheat planting, maybe in May. And I won't touch that camera until I come back and overseed into the buckwheat in August or September. You know, uh, the last week of August, first week of September. And then that camera will not get touched until after the hunting season, most likely. Because it's reconning activity for me to then use to my advantage in the future. A lot of people would put a camera there and they want to go check it. They want to go figure out what's going on. Now, I don't run cell cams. So, guys with cellular cameras, some of the stuff that I say, guys and gals with those, this isn't for you. 
Um, but it's still something that I think you need to be cognizant of when you deploy those cameras. Get them out sooner rather than later. I think if I'm running cell cameras and I'm not going to be out there, and especially if you have a small property, getting them out there in the springtime, if you're worried about the weather or whatever, you don't want them to set through, you know, a lot of freezing and thawing and such. Get them out there in April or May if you're in my area and leave them up there and go grab them after the first of the year. Uh, <coughs> so just uh, make sure of that. Um, I was I lost where I was at. Sorry. Um, and those habitat improvements, which cannot be ignored, and these must-complete things. I have logging TSI once a year, checking like I was describing. Um, but you still, you got to coordinate those. You got to think about them. You know, if I'm going to go into my main sanctuary bedding area, I am hoping to not have to be in there multiple days. Now, when I logged, it was a sacrifice that we were going to be in there hauling logs out, cutting trees multiple days. We're just going to sun up to sundown type thing as much as you possibly can minimize your intrusion, minimize your impact and get out of there. Um, letting the, and I guess I'll touch on this right now. When you do have to work these areas, I am a firm believer from over the years making sure I don't surprise deer. I don't ever want to surprise deer except for with an arrow. You know, if I'm coming out to the property to work, I'm going to be making noise. I'm not going to close the door quietly if I'm there for a habitat day. I'm going to be talking. I'm going to be whistling. Maybe clap my hands a little bit on my way back. Um, running the tractor is one thing, but actually making, sometimes that doesn't scare deer away, but you know, I want to generally alert them well prior to me being right up on them. I want them to understand that their bedding area works. They heard the intrusion coming and they were able to use their escape routes or escape avenues and vacate the bedding area with their life. That is a success. That bedding area did exactly what it was supposed to do for them, which was keep them in survive and keep keep them alive and allow them to have the security to be able to slip out. So if I'm going in, even on those days, I'm wanting my presence known prior to my arrival. Um, I think that's one reason that it's some people use have a dog that goes with them all the time. Some people you know, whatever it might be, just let the deer know, you know, you don't have to be obnoxious with it, but you know, I've whistled, clapped, things of that nature, just making sure that the deer know I'm coming. Um, back to sanctuary adherence and activity protection things. Secondary areas only get visited when needed tasks are timely done. Plot work, stand work, camera checks and such. I never just go check cameras that are beyond five to 10 yards from an edge or border. Um, which those are essentially trespassing cameras, but as many of you know that have small properties like me, these are also deer monitoring areas. Um, depending on how thick your property transitions from into cover, um, you may be able to check a camera just being four feet into your property that's on an, uh, a security edge that the deer will run even during the day possibly, depending on how thick your edge is. So you could be monitoring deer as well. But those, in essence, are, I'm not counting to this, but I'm never going to go check plot cameras or cameras on trails and things of that nature if I can't get to them so quickly that it's like I was never even at my property. 
I will check cameras. I have basically three main times that I check cameras. Um, spring plantings or spring checkings. Uh, well, I should say frost seeding time frame. Spring plantings and checkings. Summer uh, work days, possibly, if we are maybe liming plots or hanging stands, unfortunately, because we don't have any other time frame to do it. Um, or putting in fall plots at the end of the summer, early fall, that August time frame. Um, I will check those times. I like to try to get out and check some of my cameras. Again, though, I will never delve really deep into my property um, unless it's downpouring. If it's if it's a downpour, thunderstorm type situation, I will. I'll just go check all the cameras in middle of September, late September, uh, Typically, 15th through the 21st is about as late as I will check. My main season where I can start shooting bucks uh, is October 1st. I do have a reduction properties where September 15th I can shoot a doe first or an antlerless deer, I should say. That earns me a buck tag that I could possibly shoot a buck before October 1st. But that's kind of how that works. So I try not to really do that type of camera checking until... Um, or any later than that because then my property is I'm, I'm in such a big protection mode of disturbance that I'm not going to do anything that's not hunting and uh, everybody knows how drastically uh, anal for lack of a better term I am as far as selecting stands and, and tactically trying to hunt my property to ensure that the deer don't even know I'm there but I am and I'm hunting them um any camera deeper in oh that's what i was talking about that's right uh and then i will always try to pick up cameras around turkey day that's usually about the time frame where i can really start to tell what's going to live and what's not i'd say if a if a mature buck has made it to after thanksgiving weekend i should i said turkey day but really it's like right after thanksgiving weekend i try i like to try to check if i can weather related again i'm looking for crummy weather um if possible that gives me some intel of whether i need to gear up and plan on hunting some late season frigid cold temperatures because i've got a giant still on his feet or something like that um and then i'll usually check around again the first of the year <coughs> middle of january for my survivor so that's really only three or four camera checks during the year of my main stuff now that's not to say that i'm not checking cameras more often possibly if i shoot a deer and i'm by a camera i will pull my sd cards out and swap them out with another um if something takes me to the property like trespassing or something like that issues i will check cameras um, and again i have some edge type cameras that i can check almost with no intrusion to the property at all they might as well be cell cameras um, and i can check those so i do check cameras but it is an urge that a lot of people can't fight. Um, I've actually scaled back on my desire and even ability or willingness to check cameras, I guess you should could say, um, because I have learned over time so much that it is very rare that your timing is perfect to where the most recent intel on that camera, basically the day leading up to you checking that camera, has such pivotal and crucial information it's going to change how you hunt that day or the next day um 
I know there's some people out there that I fully trust that hunt large acreage type properties where they're all about most recent information. And you know what? That's it's true. But in the rut, I think is about the only time where knowing a buck is there is, is, is helpful to you because they're, they're with a doe and it, but that's tough to gauge. It's really tough. You know, once the rut really starts kicking in, it's really tough to, to hunt a specific deer. It's really, you just got to hunt the proper spots where, you know, historically bucks like to cruise through. If they're with a doe, they could possibly be locked down with a doe in that area. Or if they're not, it's a seeking type area and you just never know what could walk through. Um, so I, I don't put a big emphasis on trying to check my camera so often to where I have the most recent information. The information that my cameras are gathering is of much bigger importance to me next year and even the year after that. Uh, it starts showing a correlation in timing of when certain bucks that may not be my core area type bucks or where your property is part of their home range, but it is one of their secondary and tertiary ranges where they swoop through all the time. Mr. Piggy's a great example. Um, I think he might be dead because this last year was the first year that I don't believe I got pictures of him coming through. Once October started hitting, Mr. Piggy usually was on a seven to, seven to 10 day cycle. He would come through the property and he would be there for about 24 to 36 hours. You know, we'd get pictures of him coming in the day, one day in the morning or midday. And he'd be there that evening, he'd be eating, he'd be there the next morning, and then he might be there through the evening the next day, or he would leave at some point during that day. Um, and he, it was very habitual. This became a, 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 not a pattern because it wasn't so consistent that you could bank on this day, this time, or to this moon. But once he started coming through, it seemed like you had a consistent flow of seven to 10 days until the rut really fully kicked in. And then he might be there for chasing does for three days or you might not see him for two weeks but that late september to october time frame when bucks are moving out of their summer ranges and into other areas he would always consistently have a a, a, a steady type traffic flow um, on the property so it's just something to keep in mind and that was gained over studying and looking at pictures over years um, but that's stuff that you've got to learn to catalog. Um, I don't run my spreadsheets as much as I used to now because I've gotten to know my property so much. Um, but I encourage, if you have never done this, one, and I'm getting on a little bit of a sidetrack discussion, but figure out Excel and you can catalog um, every single time you see a certain buck. Um, and you can catalog your photos to help you begin to see those correlations. You know, I would have a pro I would have a spreadsheet that you could filter one column by the property type, um, what property it was, and then you could filter it by a specific buck. You could filter it by a location. You could filter it by all these different factors. And then I began to see a pattern of certain bucks and their activities on the property. And that became crucial to be able to possibly 
kill some deer. And that's actually how I ended up killing Junior, which was just a giant eight pointer that turned into a seven pointer that year because he busted off uh, one of, part of his beam in, in velvet, but just an incredible deer, massive body. That was a cool hunt. But getting back on topic, um, I think we've talked about all the sanctuary adherence and activity protection or SAP or SOP however you want to pronounce it. Um, if you're a hillbilly like me, you don't really say sop, like sob, you say sap. Um, but let's talk about the secondary things, which a lot of people come to me for and a lot of people want to discuss in here, and that is how do we provide security through habitat means or habitat bases? Um, I think some of these things are going to be pretty simple to think of, but it's you got to always keep them in mind. And one is keep sight lines minimized and escape options plentiful. Now, when I say keep sight lines minimized, what I'm talking about there is you shouldn't be able to just look through your property or through an area. I shouldn't be able to walk into your bedding area and have options to just kind of look around and kind of really figure out the, the bedding area, you know, five acres at a time from one spot where I'm standing. Um, and it doesn't mean make tunnels and shoots to where they feel like they're cattle at a slaughter trough. Um, but you got to keep those sight lines minimized. That's why a lot of people really incorporate even breaking up their food plots into smaller sections with Egyptian weed or sorghum and such. Compartmentalizing it allows deer to isolate what they've got to worry at worry about at one time. You know, they have human predators, coyotes to an extent. You know, the older deer don't really necessarily have to worry about that, but you know, mamas with fawns really do, and young deer definitely have to. Um, and a pack of coyotes or a pack of wild dogs will take down a full-grown deer for sure. So they've got to keep that in mind. And the one thing that having smaller areas does is it actually allows you to adhere to um, something that I have always tried to do on my property, and that is I have a two-bound rule. That's bound, B-O-U-N-D, like a deer bounding away. I want a deer, no matter where they are, to be able to be two bounds at most from cover on my property. Now, that could be tough if they're standing directly right in the middle of my one food plot. But I think in two bounds, you've seen deer. They can get, a mature deer can, in one bound, you know, they can be, I would assume, probably 10 to 14 feet at a time. Um, probably much longer than that, honestly. If they really wanted to or they were fleeing, I have pockets of cover. You know, they may not be able to get deep into cover, but I have cover edges and things that deer could dive into pretty much one to two bounds away from them at any point when I'm asking them to be outside of cover where there's stuff brushing their bodies and you know it's 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 cover if you will they're in my food plots or on my trails they're never more than two bounds really away from some type of cover that they could hide in and i think that is pivotal for a property to be really providing security and safety for the deer and again if you're not doing that the property is a failure I don't care how big your turnips are. I don't care how great you grow soybeans. I don't care how awesome your ryegrass looks in your plot. <laughs> um, 
uh, don't plant ryegrass. That's a joke. A few guys listening will get a chuckle out of that from some of our discussions this week. But, you know, you got to give them security, and that's just a simple concept to keep in mind. Keep the sight lines minimized and operate on a two-bounder rule. Bedrooms always have two routes out is the next thing with a third option, if possible, that's less groomed. And what I mean by that is when we were talking about the layers and zones and we really start making areas for deer to bed, you know, you have your 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 bedding location, your bedding area, which, like I talked about, was the property or the hotel. And then inside of there, you have your 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 floors or your layers or your you know, the floors of the hotel with multiple different bedrooms. And then inside of that, you have the actual bedrooms or the rooms. When I'm actually getting to that level of isolated creation, I am going to make all beds or bedrooms have two routes in and out of them with possibly a third one, if the setting allows, that I'm just going to rough cut. You know, I'm not going to maybe, I'm going to make it to where a deer can get through a lot and they don't necessarily need the most pristine travel but if something's coming if a coyote pack is coming down both entrance and exits there they have this third option that maybe isn't as groomed but they can get through if they had to Um, which means you know uh, it could be over a hinge cut maybe i cut a couple of of the vertical parts of the hinge it's a it's a thin tree that's down and then there's some cover behind it that i just hack with the chainsaw a little bit and they can get through whereas in the other spots i'm actually from from feet to my armpits i'm trying to keep clear you know to where they can enter and exit that bed so that's something to keep in mind i'm layering and and thinking of levels of cover throughout my property as well so when i'm working plots or trails or corridors or bedding areas I'm, I'm never just relying solely on vertical trunk stems, if you will, of trees or regeneration. That's not the only thing I'm relying on. I'm, I'm incorporating and encouraging broadleaf growth and understory growth. Weeds is a common uh, term for that that a lot of people uh, don't understand or don't realize are beneficial to the property. Um, I'm incorporating living hedges as I call them through strategically used hinge cuts. I have some islands of cover that I have shot some of my biggest deer by and you guys have seen them in the videos possibly uh, where I've hinged trees over and vines have just kind of taken them over and even if they're dead they're still a living hedge with leaves every year yeah in the winter that may die down but I mean it's 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 a cover it's side structure it's it's something to give structure to the property, to the food plot location, to the bedding area. Wherever you're incorporating it, I'm utilizing that. I'm keeping uh, trails. This is, this is something that uh, maybe you don't necessarily think of, but you know, in your sanctuaries or in a spot that deer historically have proven that they, they feel safe traveling from X to Y through this area, keeping that possible. You know, if you have a storm push a couple big trees down across that area, now maybe you have a pond to the east of these trees and and to the west they have to break cover and it's too close to a neighbor's property to where they don't feel safe because that neighbor has a lot of maybe uh, human activity, human intrusion. Uh, Maybe there's dogs there. I don't know, whatever it might be. 
And now those deer that used to feel safe traveling through this artery of cover that was maybe 30 yards wide, but a couple of these massive trees fell, it's really cut that off. And you didn't take the time to think about the impact that that had. And now your stands located to the south of this, 80 yards, 100 yards away, aren't really seeing the deer activity that they used to. Well, it's because those deer don't feel safe actually bumping around those trees where sometimes they do. Sometimes trees will fall and deer will just bump around and they feel safe and it's fine and they kind of adapt to it. Other times they don't feel safe having to make that adaption and the way they adapt is they now avoid that travel. And sometimes that travel corridor was the safety feature to get from X to Y and now they just don't get from X to Y except for maybe after dark when they can go around those trees or maybe they just avoid that area in general now more than they used to because they don't have the ability to safely traverse there. If, if you don't have the ability to safely traverse your property through different locations and different corridors, your property is really lacking. And that's something to also keep in mind. You know, I would love to be able to offer and this this is counterintuitive to what some guys think or some guys want they want a property to where a deer can't hide on their property from them if they're hunting them they don't want them to be able to do it but i want a deer to be able to traverse my entire property be able to check all my food plots and bedding areas and not have to break cover to not have to feel unsafe for a moment because the thing is, if, if they have that option, if they have that safety ability, that's when they may feel more comfortable to come out and check a scrape on an edge just for a couple seconds. And that's my chance. That's when they feel safe enough where they get to traverse this property. They're walking on it all the time. Now they're with, you know, Nancy the doe who's in heat. They don't want to leave her side. I feel safe. This property's good. She's walking out into the small micro clover plot. I'll hang out on the edge. I'll walk it. I'm out in there. I won't be 20 yards deep in that trail that I usually run because I want to be right with her. Little does he know I've got an arrow ready for him. So keeping these trails, you know, so that example would be once a year, checking on your property and travels is fine. Even though that might be a sanctuary area, I still want to be checking on it to make sure it's functioning as it needs to function for the deer to feel safe on my property. So cutting an artery, cutting, you know, spending some chainsaw days and cutting that, those two massive trees down that cut that area off could be the biggest thing you do for the safety of the deer, security of the deer to be able to hunt down there again, 80, hundred yards down towards Y, whether that be another bedding area that they were going to from X to Y, maybe Y is a food source. Maybe it's an acorn flat seasonal food that you've done well killing deer off of whatever it might be. You just have to constantly be cognizant of that. But again, I think the video um, that I played the audio for really summarizes it up and I cannot stress it enough. I don't care what brand you plant in your food plots. I don't care what you plant, whether it's even junk ryegrass or the highest of caliber seed that you had hand selected each seed um, from a guy in a field in Oregon for your clover. It does not matter if you do not offer the deer safety and security and they don't feel safe eating that food during legal hunting time. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. So, 
you can provide, you can have the greatest cover, you can maybe you, you can say, Ty, I've got 40 acres and I just give the deer everything and I have one stand option. And you know what? You might be providing a lot of security and safety, but if you haven't really sculpted it into something inside, it could be good, it could not be. Um, there's a variety of different ways that you can think you're doing good for a property when in actuality you're not because you're not actually then actively checking on it. Those two trees falling is a good example. You might you might be like, Ty, I'm not intruding. I've got one stand option for this wind on the east side of the property for west winds. It's only 12 yards in. I've got a one acre food plot right there and I just kind of patiently wait. I think that's a great approach to small properties, but are you still checking? Are you still enhancing? Are you still trying to make all the other areas of your property really sing together? Because it sounds like to me, all you're doing is you're worrying about entrance and exit. That's good. And you got a food. So you're worrying about food, but you're not worried about any of the other stuff on the pyramid. You're not worried about any of the other stuff that makes that property attractive to the deer. You know, I had a guy uh, message me the other day, was it? Maybe it's been a week or so now to where he just doesn't understand. He can't get deer to... He goes, how do I get deer on my property? He goes, we bought this property. It's about 68 acres. It's kind of up in uh, the hills. Well, I won't say where, but it's like a very hilly terrain. He's like, we put in a seven acre food plot up on the top of this like uh, hilltop. It, it was a crested hilltop. And he goes, we brought dozers in and cleared it all out. And, you know, I've got a lush food plot up there and everything. And, and everything kind of drops off on the other sides. And he sent me some stuff. And honestly, they destroyed the best area for cover, for security. Everything else that they had left, this was actually a flat. And the reason why it was attracted to him was it had been hard, it had been harshly logged in the past, almost like a clear cut, he guessed, 20, 30 years ago. So the trees were younger and easier to move. So they brought, they, they cleared all everything else was kind of gentle sloping hills and bottoms and such. And it had mature timber. And I was like, you got rid of the attractiveness and the only area that was providing natural safety and security to those deer. And you put a desert of one thing, food in there. But the rest of your property is mature timber. It has no security cover offering. You're not not providing the deer anything. So really, you've got to rethink this. You either got to hardly harshly log the rest of your property, or you got to revamp and, and reconvert back your food into cover option. So you just you got to be thinking of the pyramid in the right order, everybody. You got to be making decisions that don't strip away the bottom of it at the cost of the top. Trust me, there are so many endless ways to provide food to the deer without even buying a bag of seed um, that you can make food happen on your property. Never do it at the cost of anything else because there's always ways to provide more food and digestible items for the deer to eat um, through vegetation or things of that nature with maybe even not even having a plot. So I think that's all I've got to say right now on security. It is the crucial ingredient that if your property doesn't have it, you will never reach your full potential. The property will never reach its full potential. And if your goal is to harvest the top caliber bucks in your area, it could still happen. Don't get me wrong. You're just going to be 
hinging on luck more than anything. You just it could happen though. You know, it could happen. It's just like the the guys that overhunt stands because they live by the saying you can't catch a fish if your lure's not in the water and they're just gonna keep casting. It's true. Eventually something's gonna happen, but at how much of a cost of time and energy and hunts do you cost yourself in the meantime, uh, maybe years, honestly, hunting that way. So just like we want to hunt more in a more educated and less ignorant manner, we want to go about our property design and property plans and thought and decisions about it in a less ignorant and more educated way as well. Because you know what? God only blesses each of us with certain properties. Some of us are much more blessed when it comes to property that we get to call our own, whether that be deeded land that we own, deeded land that our family owns, situational type things. And we don't always think that, that we get handed a fair shake or a fair share. But I can promise you this, uh, God gave you exactly what you need right now. Um, what you need to do is decide, are you going to try to make it the best that you possibly can for you and your family to enjoy, for you and your family to uh, really get to recharge and be with nature in a way that you can't really do other places. And you know what? If you're like me, pursuing and trying to attract big, mature bucks is one of the most funnest, most fun things ever. And just getting to see the deer utilize your property is incredible. So if you can have the most efficient and best property around, this is how you do it. Provide security first and foremost through everything that you do. Um, have it be the backbone or the main ingredient in any decision that you make. And one, I think if you do that, you're being a good steward of the blessings that you've been provided. And I think you will reap more uh, beneficial things um, than most people would in your situation. So that's all I have for right now. I look forward to coming back, circling back. I have a few topics that I know some people have wanted to hear discussed, but uh, let me know what your thoughts are on this uh, perfect property pyramid, air quotes, perfect um, property pyramid. Things that I feel like I see consistently and habitually at properties that routinely produce chances and consistently produce high quality bucks. Um, every hunter may have a different tactical approach that works for them. Um, and maybe we'll talk about that things that make up, uh, the most successful hunters in my opinion, but that's, again, you can have very diverse hunters, but the property itself, I still think most likely most successful landowners that consistently put down big deer, these are the main ingredients that are property that they're they're succeeding at so and some of them succeed mainly just because they have massive amounts of acreage and it's it becomes less and less of a factor to make a mistake it, it becomes harder and harder to blow up your property when it's bigger i'm just saying it I, I i have no qualms about it i'm not i'm probably half the hunter that bill wanky is just to be honest with you but i don't know if bill wanky could be as successful as me in my exact situations with the exact size property, you know, some guys would never even have the desire or heart to try to make something um, work on the size of properties that I have. Who knows? I know he could out hunt me probably five days a week out in Iowa 
on his property or on any large property. Um, but you know, that's just an example. Cause I know Bill's a very successful hunter, but I mean, no two situations are the same, I guess is where I'm going with that. And I'm kind of branching off on a thought that, or a tangent, if you will, but maybe we can discuss that ownership of the hunter and the situations that you have. And maybe that's where I was kind of going with that blessings of different types of land that we're all given, but I'll just stop rambling at this point, but let me know what you thought of the series. Um, hopefully it was beneficial to you. If nothing else, I just hope that it made you think more because that's the biggest key. Um, reflecting and thinking and making decisions because I think the more you do that, the more simple it becomes and the more you realize it really is about if I can provide security to these deer, that's the majority of the battle. And these are all the different ways that I can possibly do that. I'm planning food today. Is there something I can do to make this food plot more secure, more feel more safe to the deer? Ah, maybe if I put a screening along that one side. Maybe if I stop trying to hunt that northeast corner of this food and bump that stand down, um, it'll be less intrusion on that side and less chance of the deer to come across. Like, you'll start thinking of these things. And while you may be thinking more, you're not overthinking things anymore either. So, which is an issue out there in this world right now. Um, and uh, just for a final note or final joke for some of you out there, you'll notice that I did not discuss uh, where to plant for security. You do not need mushrooms or fungi to incorporate any of the things that I discussed into that. So <laughs> just a little joke, final tidbit, make everybody laugh a little bit. Um, God bless everybody. Y'all mean the world to me. I appreciate all the kindness and the gestures and the reviews and the thoughts on anything. Um, hit me up, smallacrehunting at gmail.com. If you have any questions, go to the website. You can also connect with me there. Again, you are the only uh, supporters of the podcast, if you will. I will continue to bang on my drum without sponsorships or advertisements because I feel like that changes everything. And that's for you guys to continue to hear unfiltered thoughts and opinions that are not driven or enforced by anybody except for yours truly. God bless everybody and good luck out there.